This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to give you a shout out and let you know that the Live Producers Online membership is now finally open. We rarely open throughout each year, so now's your chance to join the rest of the family and access tons of awesome things to take your music to the next level. Uh, think of the membership as like a Facebook having a baby with like lynda.com or YouTube with one-on-one private lessons with professional producers around the world. Uh, you can create your own membership profile. You can network with other Ableton Live users. You can access the private discussions forum, download practice projects of fully produced Ableton songs. Uh, you can access unlimited video courses teaching a variety of topics with Ableton Live. You can, like I said, access one-on-one private lessons with teachers, including today's guest for the podcast, Gardner Beeson. Really cool dude. We're going to talk to him in a second. So check it out, liveproducersonline.com. So Friday, August 10th, 2018, our membership is going to close again. So we only open two weeks occasionally throughout the year. So now's your chance to join us, and we look forward to meeting you soon. The art of music doesn't exist for the artist once the art's been released and exists between the listener or the observer. There's other funny psychological effects that happen, um, like masterpiece syndrome, where you're worried that you've already done your best work, and so anything after that's no good. Or you, you haven't you know, finished your greatest masterpiece yet, and what if this is it, right? So that, that same sort of thought where it's like, okay, I'm going to hold on to this because this could be the thing, and then it never is. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Ableton Live Music Producer Podcast. I am the host, Dan Giffen. I have an awesome guest with us. Uh, his name is Gardner Beeson, and he's an established music producer that has taught thousands of artists online how to make tracks. Uh, he's just shy of a million YouTube views, and his entertaining personality and ability to help others learn modern music production, I believe, really sets him apart from other artists and YouTubers who are creating tutorials out there today. Gardner's collaborated with some of today's major electronic music producers, including Mr. Bill and a lot of others. Uh, He's also a ghost producer for many artists. Uh, He's well-recognized for his video tutorials, like I mentioned, especially when it comes to dissecting production styles of famous dance music artists that you probably know, and uh, teaches a lot of people how to replicate those artists' tracks, which is super cool. So, uh, Gardner, thanks, man, for joining us today. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, we always have a good time. Last time we hung out was at GearFest in Fort Wayne, and it was like every musician's paradise, but also like every musician like emptying their wallets on products that they necessarily didn't need, which (laughs) thankfully I was able to avoid buying more than I needed this year. But it was a great time, man. It was awesome meeting you. And uh, yeah, dude, uh, I'm interested to pick your brain today about a lot of different things. And I know our listeners are going to love what you have to share. Um, but before we dive into all the fun details, asking you about like how to produce music, like your different styles and teaching us some of your tips and tricks with producing, tell us about your musical background, how it got started with music. Well, my background is actually in classical music. I started playing the piano when I was about like six or so. Um, that didn't really keep my interest or hold it as well as the bass and guitar which I picked up in school when I was in fifth grade. So between nice. learning with, yeah, so between like learning the piano and then getting involved with string instruments, there was this 
gap of time where I just was kind of fiddling around and learning different standards um, for you know piano repertoire and that sort of thing. Once I once I picked up the bass, um, I was like, all right, string instruments are where it's at. The piano can get bent. I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that before or after Guitar Hero? Because that was like my claim to fame on a string instrument was Guitar Hero all day long. Like, I, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, maybe, I'd say it was a solid five years before Guitar Hero came out. Okay. Nice. Yeah, this is nice. <laughs> just, just barely in middle school, you know? Oh, yeah. Those are the days. It made everybody feel like they could play music. Yeah. Sure. And so uh, I did that for a while. Um, ended up going to a boarding school for music. Uh, left home when I was about 15 and, and did that and then went on to college for music and just kind of stayed in the classical vein. Uh, until college when one of my classmates uh, introduced me to um, Reason and then Ableton. So I've, I'd been messing around with um, Fruity Loops, but nothing serious until I, I met somebody else that was actually doing it. South Carolina was kind of a wasteland in terms of just, you know, EVM and production uh, until, yeah. until about 2008, 2009, when I actually met somebody who was you know, doing it as well. Sweet, man. So when we first talked, you told me something I thought that was really cool. And uh, you made it a goal, I, I don't know how long ago, to produce and release one song every single day for a year. And these weren't just like, hey, I'm going to grab a bunch of sample packs and squeeze them into one project. Like you were actually from the ground up producing and releasing a brand new track every day for an entire year. And I think that's very ambitious and really cool and probably taught you a ton. So like, I guess just share with us in that process, like what inspired you to do that? And like, what did you learn out of it? Um, so it was kind of foolhearted, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do a big stunt. Like, because I didn't really have a lot of traction before this project. So there was like, I had a SoundCloud profile and I would release some stuff every once in a while, but I'd never really done any sort of like scheduled releases. I had made like one or two albums through my band camp page at that point. And, and I said, I, I need more traction. I'm making music and it's okay, but I'm not actually, you know, hitting any sort of like audience numbers or anything. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do a stunt and I'm going to have this go for a year. Um, because I am of the opinion that, you know, I can, I can make, um, you know, music every day for a year. That, that, that's not, that's not difficult. I write music all the time anyway. And then Caroline and I were watching TV one night. We were watching one of Casey Neistat's vlogs. And basically, uh, we were both looking at the TV and I, I looked at her and I said, I, I can do that. Like, you know, like it was just, <laughs> yeah. it was just yeah. moments where I was like, I, I can do that. So I, I decided yeah. to, uh, make a video about each of these songs and I was going to release a video um, every day on YouTube for a year. And some, some of them were, you know, jokes, of course, like some of the songs are, are funny and some of the songs are actual serious, you know, like you said, from the ground up sort of made from scratch tracks, but yeah. um, you know, all together it's 365 songs in 365 days. That's a lot of music, man. <laughs> That's a lot of music. That's awesome, though. I mean, so what did you learn from that? What did you think was most beneficial looking back over the timeline of a year after that happened? Uh, I learned how to force it. So there's um, there's a, there's two schools of thought when it comes to music. I'm, I'm guilty of believing in both of these at the same time. But 
you can either sit around and wait for inspiration, right? That's where true music comes from. That's one school of thought. And then there's the, no, you don't have to sit around and wait for inspiration. You can sort of start working on something and that in itself will be the inspiration for the final product. Um, I just, I call that forcing it. And I'd never really practiced. Yeah. I'd never really practiced composition before that. Like I, I went, I, I could compose and I was frequently inspired to write, but I'd never said, you know what, I'm going to schedule this and I'm going to actually practice it just like I would practice my instruments. Right. So if I was practicing the bass, I would have, okay, from two to four, you know, in college every day I would go down to the practice room and I would play two hours of bass. And, and then, you know, but I would never schedule composition. That never was something I did during, during the course of my degree or your time after that. Even. It would just be when yeah. I had time. So I said, no, I'm going to make this an intention. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to write music from this time to this time every day. And I'm going to edit a video right after that. And I'm going to put it on YouTube. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah so it, it's that disciplined approach that, that, that was the most beneficial thing that I learned. You know, and that makes a lot of sense too, man. I feel like naturally instinctively it's people just kind of jump in whenever they feel inspired. And I know that I've written a lot of my best tracks doing that, but it's kind of like the grunt work. You know, if you think of music production as an instrument in itself, that makes a lot of sense with both schools of thought because you have to put the hard work and the dedication and practice to actually be able to be really good when you have those moments of inspiration to actually implement whatever's in your head, right? Is that right. amazing? And I think correct me if I'm wrong, you, you grew quite the following from doing that, having so much content to release out there, right? Yeah, I started out with, I think, 36 subscribers when I put up my first episode. And these were all subscribers that I gained over the course of, like, so I, I had an account on YouTube for a while, but I'd just been putting, you know, random stupid videos on it, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I think I had right. a, a video called, like, Hardcore Dishwashing or something. It was like... <laughs> We were, we were at the restaurant. We were just like all three of us going in on the sink, like like as a joke. And it, it, that was like my most viewed video, right? And then it's awesome. <laughs> so then, yeah. So thirty six. I think by the time I was done, I was like seventeen or eighteen hundred. Yeah, dude. I was honored to be your ten thousandth subscriber. I just I want to boast there. for a second and say <laughs> I was that ten thousand, that whole number. I was proud was, of it. That was a good night, man. Thank you for doing that. that. Absolutely, man. For sure. I logged into four of my different YouTube accounts to make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anybody that. That's illegal. I'm just kidding. Oh, is it? Oh, God. We can edit that out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. Obviously, you have a ton of experience writing, producing. I mean, just that year alone of constantly jumping in and producing stuff in Ableton. Um, I guess, what advice would you give to somebody who is just getting started? Um, no matter what background experience they had with playing, say, guitar or bass or whatever? Uh, don't be tempted to invest in gear. So a lot of mistakes that my students make is, is they'll, they'll immediately start to invest in some sort of a controller setup or some sort of a um, you know, setup that involves expensive audio interfaces, et cetera, et cetera. My advice would be just no, just start hammering out songs in the piano roll using the default plugins and, and effects and stuff and whatever your uh, DAW of choice is. Of course, I guess we could talk about Ableton, right? So sure. just, um, yeah. yeah, I would be like, listen, just get live suite or, or, you know, live standard and start writing a track I- I- using the instruments and learning how synthesis works. Because 
you've got everything you need in the software to actually learn all the basics and even some way more advanced, like, um, you know, production techniques because of all the great utilities that are built into the system. Um, don't, don't invest, don't invest in plugins, just save your cash, make sure it's something you actually want to do and see whether or not you're capable of writing a good track. It's like, so when I was a kid, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, which is close to the ocean. It's on the ocean. Um, and so sailing was a thing. Uh, and it wasn't like, you know, not like, you know, Northeast where it's like a frat boy kind of thing. It, like down here, it was like, it was a fun thing. Like everybody had a sunfish if you were going to the beach, which is a really small sailboat. Um, That's and, cool. That sounds warm yeah, and fun. It is. It is. And and it's not, it's, it's not an expensive thing either. But if you want to be a sailor, like you want to sail a big boat, you have to learn how to sail a sunfish or, or, a, or a dagger or something like, like some sort of a really small sailboat because it's a hundred times more difficult to sail a small sailboat than it is to sail a bigger one. But the, the right. concept is all the same. So it's kind of a, it's kind of this proof of concept. So that's why I tell my students, like you need to start and have a proof of concept in the software using the defaults before you can justify investing in this as a career. Right. Because yeah, right. the price tag just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I've seen so many producers, um, you know, try to get into it, invest in all this heavy equipment. And then they're like three months later selling it all. And they're at yep. a loss. And yep. it's like you could save yourself all that worry and, and, and hardship just by seeing whether or not you're actually capable of writing music effectively. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure, dude. No, I'm so refreshed to hear you say that because a lot of the Ableton students I teach at the studio and online through the website, uh, liveproducersonline.com, is like, everybody's like, well, what plugin should I get for delay? And it's like, you realize Ableton already has like 600 delay effects you can use, you know? And it's like, you get always, you know, and, and understanding your DAW, I feel like makes you more creative because it's no longer you just rely on like the sexiest presets from every plugin that you purchase and then you're super broke and you still don't know how to make music. So that's true. Right. No, I'm it's refreshing to hear you say that. Cause I get that a lot, especially from new producers and Facebook loves to show us relevant content. And so you get like, Hey, if you buy this plugin, you're going to make music just like, uh, you know, the greatest producer of your life and and you need this plugin and you need this plugin next thing you know you can't even afford rent and you're on the street and you have to sell your laptop and you can't make music anymore because you bought everything <laughs> but yeah and then to take that a level further i'd say and you know when you're about ready to invest in gear look at diy solutions i do a lot of videos on my channel about diy solutions to expensive problems you know it's it's yeah it's uh, it just goes from there look at used gear like I said, there's tons of people that get into this and then figure out they don't want to do it or that they can't make money, so they sell it. So go on Reverb.com, go on eBay. There's nothing wrong with used gear. It doesn't make it any less effective. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, Reverb.com is my jam. Like, a, I'm a, no problem buying used gear on there, for sure. That's all I have to say about that is just save, save your cash, figure out if it's something you want to do or not. Oh, for sure. We have the most, we have the most expensive hobby by far. Like I will say that till the day I die, but it's worth it. Right. It's really, you can just write it off as therapy. <laughs> video, video gear, man. Audio gear has nothing on video gear for every dollar you could spend on an expensive piece of audio gear. It costs $5 for that same piece of gear in the video. World. Probably. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So hopefully you got into Bitcoin like 10 years ago and now you can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can afford it. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I want to get into a little bit of your 
process, your workflow, and a little more of the nitty gritty details of like how you approach your music and producing. So when you start on a brand new song, say when you produce a new song every day for a year or whatever, do you have a specific process that you follow? And like, what does that work like with like a workflow? What does that look like? If I'm just trying to bang out a track, um, you know, forcing it, then it basically starts with a reference. So uh, one of the reasons that how to make series is um, so effective for me is because that is immediate inspiration. So if the if the how to make is, for instance, um, I don't know, like Dead Mouse's song Strobe, uh, then there is no inspiration. It's already written. You just basically need to sit down and try to figure out the different sounds, right? So that's the whole workflow there is copy it. But if it's something like trying to create something original, uh, the process is a bit different. I tend to mess with um, really cheap synthesizers or like just found sounds. So for me, it would be um, just playing with uh, different mallet instruments that I've got around the house or um, messing around with one of my, you know, toy synthesizers. Like I have this Yamaha PS something. It's, it's a, it's a kid's piano, but um, just effing with that until I come up with a cool sound or a cool melody. And then basically from there, the process is just resampling and manipulation of source material. So, um, a lot of my, yeah, a lot of my compositions come from, um, music concrete or, or found sounds or, uh, well, I guess what you would call it would be generative synthesis, which I stole, uh, which is, which is a term that I stole, um, from, uh, Bill coins and yeah. stuff as, as generative or, um, yeah, Mr. Bill. Yeah. 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 He makes a lot of really good stuff, uh, especially video tutorials, teaching people a lot of tricks like that. Yeah, so one of the things he does is he'll he'll start a line on his synthesizer and just keep messing with it until it comes up with something cool. So it's not that it's not that he's not composing; it's that he's composing with his hardware. So, um, and, and mine's sort of the same way. Although once I get it to the point where I'm bringing it inside of the computer, I apply a whole bunch of theory. And, and that that's not like you know I say okay, well the, you write a song this way and that's the way it is. I mean I'll take different formal uh, templates basically and apply them to a sound and see which one sounds the best. So it's working generatively with my hardware and then working generatively with music theory, which is something that a lot of older composers didn't do. They would say, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's going to go. And they try to make it fit. Whereas I choose the one that makes the most sense based on music history. Okay. That's cool, man. That's an interesting approach. You know, it, and there is something to be said about being able to play an instrument. Like you mentioned, playing around on your synthesizer, playing some piano, messing around definitely helps to have that music theory, I feel like. Um, but like, I one thing I love about Ableton and, and kind of what you were saying is, it's just finding happy accidents of things that like kind of inspire you, right? Yeah. And that's, that's definitely an approach. The theory thing is more of a getting out of a situation if I'm stuck or um, it, it really provides a good platform, like starting point. Okay. Um, and, and so if there's this basic, if, if there's this basic rule book of preconditioned decisions, then if you're ever at a point where you go, Oh, I don't know what to do. Just roll the dice at that point. And then you can look at the book and go, all right, well, the book says I can do this. Try it out. Does it work? No, try something else. Does that work? Yeah. Okay. Done. And all of a sudden, a moment of indecision is no longer a thing. Hmm, that's good. 
I like what you just said. Yeah, like a moment of indecision is no longer a thing. And that's that's cool. And I, I feel like that kind of leads back a little bit and that this might be stretching it, but you know, you you seem to be very ambitious and like not afraid to dive in. Like that's just from everything I've met and seen and heard about you is you were very like a go-getter type of approach with when it comes to producing. And, um, you know, I think one thing that a lot of people and myself could learn from you is uh, to not be afraid to release your music and to have fun when you're just experimenting and giving yourself permission to fail. You know, and a lot of what you just said and what I've seen from your tutorials, videos online, which is how I found about you on YouTube is, um, you know, just being able to constantly experiment and give yourself permission to have fun and play around and try different things to see what works. Um, but you know, like I I've met and this, I'm speaking for myself too, but I met a lot of producers who like almost kind of get into this like controlled panic mode where it almost seems like they're almost afraid to produce something wrong. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense, but it's almost kind of like um, being able to put yourself out there as a producer is going to take a lot of practice, which clearly you've done. And, um, you know, a lot of hard work and giving yourself permission to play around and experiment and, and just find different things and mistakes can turn into really cool things. Um, but not having a fear to put yourself out there to release those tracks like you did every day for a year and to also just experiment and try different things. Yeah. Is that right? A lot of composers and, and other producers get stuck in a, in a um in this headspace loop of of uh it's called imposter syndrome basically where where it's like you're of the opinion that the music you're making currently um isn't correct because there's no reference point and mm. um so they'll they'll get right so if it's ex if it's highly experimental those producers are often going to fall into, into one of two categories again uh either they're totally confident that it's so weird that it doesn't matter how it sounds and they put it out or that they're totally not confident because it's so weird and they have nothing to reference it against. And so, yeah, so that that's more of a um, lack of confidence in, in oneself, I, I think, or, or just a general fear of criticism or something like that. Yeah. But, and, and it always comes back to this. I look at it and I say, well, I could either put this out or keep it here on my hard drive, right? Yeah. And if it if it's going to serve more people by putting it out there than it will to keep it on my hard drive, then I'll put it out there. Because I'm not mm -hmm. afraid of 10 mm -hmm. months down the road not liking the track because no matter what, 10 months down the road, I'm not going to like the track as much as I used to because I'm better now. Yeah. You know, it's been it's been 10 yeah. months, I'm not going to stop learning. So if if I'm committed to continuously learning, I'm going to fail every time. So it's, it's, it's not really a, a, a worry about success. It's just an acknowledgement of, of I'm not going to like this in 10 months, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. dude, for sure. No, that's true. And I, and you know, it's funny cause like you can be so in love with the song when you produce it, but when you yeah. like release it and you hear it, like, you know, a month later on Spotify, you're so sick of it. You're like, please turn that off. Like <laughs> yeah. that's so true. That is so true. And there's other funny psychological effects that happen, um, like masterpiece syndrome, where you're worried that you've already done your best work, and so anything after that's no good, or you you haven't, you know, finished your greatest masterpiece yet. And what if this is it, right? So that 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 um, same sort of thought, where it's like, okay, I'm going to hold on to this because this could be the thing, and then it never is, 
Or I have a friend of mine who wrote a piece and he doesn't like it anymore, but it's one of my favorite songs he's ever written. And in my, it's in my like top 10 favorite songs of all time, but he hates it. So right. it's not about the art of music doesn't exist for the artist. Once the art's been released, it exists between the listener or the observer. And right. Mm, and that's good. And, and for a lot of people, it's just about entertainment or being entertained. Like, and mm. this might, this might kind of bleed into a YouTube question, but for me, putting out a YouTube video is all about just doing something because mm. that's, that's the basic, that is the absolute core of entertainment is what is entertainment. It, it is watching somebody else do something. We're, yeah. we're experiencing life through somebody else like that. That's, that's what entertainment is. So it's just mm. a lot of people just want to see people do something. They just want to hear something. They just want you to do something. Yeah. Um, so you've grown, you just mentioned YouTube and you've grown a pretty strong fan base online. What are some tips I guess you would give other producers who want to grow a successful online following? Yeah. Just, just do something. Um, and and be consistent with with some sort of an upload schedule so youtube is this weird double-edged sword where if you upload too much people won't watch and if you don't upload enough people won't watch (laughs) yeah yeah that's true uh, so i try my absolute hardest to have something every monday whether it's a joke or just a video of me complaining about something or just <laughs> talking to the camera or yeah. an actual, like really well-produced how to make segment. Um, I, I try to have something every Monday. So at least on a weekly basis, I'm, my face is popping up in people's subscription feeds. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. No. And that's good. Cause we live in a world of like oversaturated content. You know, like, there's just so much being thrown in your face all the time. And it's hard, I feel like, for people, especially like in social media, to kind of break through and be able to be seen in some ways compared to before. There's also the online platform and like so many different social media outlets and ways to connect with your fan base. And I think what you just said is, is something that's really valuable for our listeners is continue to create a steady stream of content without being part of the noise. That's just uploading stuff for the sake of uploading it. But I guess like having a regular content schedule, I know for me is helpful. Um, I use a website called Hootsuite so I can upload the same post to like four different social media sites and it's free for up to, I think three or four different social media accounts. But yeah, it's a great way to like have that content schedule to send out and constantly connect with your fans on a regular basis because people get busy and you want to be able to develop that relationship. Right. Right. Cool. Good stuff, man. Thanks for sharing. Um, so you're, you're a YouTube wizard. Like that's where you've grown a lot of your strong fan base and stuff. So I guess, um, is there any like tips or hacks when it comes to uploading YouTube videos that you would recommend for somebody else who maybe wasn't super familiar with getting the most out of their YouTube content? Um, yeah, so that, that might get into some inside baseball. Like there's, there's, um, in terms of like search engine optimization, that sort of thing, there, there's a couple of things that I think the algorithm is looking for. And again, this is all total theory. Um, sure. nobody really knows the answer to this because it's by design. If someone knew the answer, they could game the system. Right. Um, right. I'm pretty sure the algorithm is looking for 
the title, description, and tags to all have similar wording and keywords. So you, you should definitely have uh, some sort of reiteration or rehashing of the title in your description. So for instance, if your title is um, How to Make Stroke by Dead Mouse, then in the description, I would probably write something like, this is a step-by-step guide on how to recreate strobe by dead mouse. And so those would be then linked together. And then in the tags, you'd also have similar words like strobe recreation, dead mouse. Like those would all be tags in the tags field um, okay. and, and use all of the tags, use every single tag they let you put in there until they're like no more tags. And then that, that's how you know you've done the tags correctly. Uh, really? so many times, okay. Yeah. So many times I go on a video and I'm like, why aren't you filling out the tags all the way? Like it's just, it's free. It's free money. You know, like, like, yeah. like put them, just use them all up. And there's programs out there, free ones on like, you know, extensions for Chrome or Firefox that'll help you come up with tags. Um, they're, they're totally free. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that there was like a Google Chrome extension for like generating tags. That's brilliant. I'm going to check that yeah. out for sure. Yeah, definitely. Bid IQ, BID IQ. Very nice. Dude, that's awesome, man. Thank you. shared like a lot of good insight for us to snack on. We're like, running close to running out of time. Um, I want to give a shout out to you and let all our listeners know that Gardner is going to be joining live producers online as a teacher. And we're super blessed and lucky to have him. Uh, I sought him out personally because I think he's a brilliant music producer. Um, and aside from a huge following, he definitely uh, is great with like teaching people how to accomplish what's in their head or a certain sound as they're producing a track, whether it's Ableton or any other DAW, he does a great job of teaching people how to achieve the sound that they're wanting to go for, um, which I think is a huge value add um, to having you with us on the website, Garner. So I just want to let know, people know that um, we're going to be opening up the membership um, at the end of July, early August of 2018. And if you go to the website, liveproducersonline.com, and you join, you will have the opportunity to book a private lesson with Gardner and get some real one-on-one feedback with him, which I would highly recommend anybody to do, no matter your experience level of producing with Ableton or another DAW. If you want to get into Ableton, that's what we're here for, because we love Ableton. Yeah, man, is there is there anything else that you want to share that we talked about? Um, no, but on the student's note, I did just get word the other day um, also, thank you for that glowing recommendation. Um, <laughs> this yeah, really makes anytime, dude. I got you. I got um, you. Too kind. But but the uh, one of my students got signed to Mousetrap. I can't say who, um, but but one of them did recently just get signed, and another one's actually currently getting work um, writing music for commercials. So that's they, fantastic. Uh, my stu- my students get work. <laughs> hey, there you go. No, and in the end of the day, it's nice to be able to do what you love and get paid for it, which is, you know, uh, brilliant. So for people to be able to book private one-on-ones with you, I think is going to be incredibly valuable for them. So liveproducersonline.com, if you sign up as a member, you'll have access to book with Gardner, myself, and some other teachers we're going to continue to add in the membership to help you guys learn how to produce with Ableton and take your music to the next level. So uh, Gardner, where can people find out more about you for right now? Like if they wanted to search you online and connect with you. Well, I've got hundreds of videos on YouTube. Just find me at G-A-R-D-N-S-O-U-N-D. That's how you spell Garden Sound. And my website as well, which is www.gardensound.com. Perfect. And you don't have to put in the www, by the way, in case you're wondering. Oh. 
Gardensound.com. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It works both ways. Technology is brilliant. Clutch. Cool. Dude, thanks again for joining us, man. We're stoked to have you on the podcast and with live producers online teaching. Once again, everybody, check out Gardensound.com. And uh, yeah, so join the website, liveproducersonline.com. You can sign up for our newsletter and stay tuned with our email list. We'll send you a bunch of cool content teaching you how to produce. And you'll get to hang out with Gardner and myself and other people and learn some cool videos and a lot of other good stuff. So thanks again, man, for joining us. We'll uh, hopefully have you back soon on the podcast to talk another time. Right on, man. Take care. Yeah, dude, you too. This podcast is sponsored by liveproducersonline.com a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. 